and deliver them. They believed this. And the worse that the tyranny from the Romans became, the more they looked up and said, Lord, send him. God, send him. Send the Messiah. And their expectancy level was rising by the year. They believed what Isaiah had said, for instance. Let me give you a couple of examples. Isaiah, centuries earlier, had prophesied. There the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child. Stop and catch that. A virgin will be with child. This will be a supernatural conception. That's why we call it the Immaculate Conception, the Incarnation. A virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us now. Emmanuel, God is with us. Later on, Isaiah described the miracles this child, this grown-up man, would perform. I want you to catch this. This will be a supernatural individual. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. This child will grow into a miracle worker. You will know him, recognize him by the signs he performs. He will not be normal. He will not be typical. He will not be status quo. There will only be one like him. These and other uh, prophecies had raised the expectation of the Jews. They were waiting any moment for this child to be born. And isn't it funny, when he was finally born, nobody knew it. Nobody spotted it. Nobody recognized it. Now watch this. Here's the story of the star. About 1,500 miles away. That's a long way. Some Persian astronomers were watching the night sky, charting the constellations like they always did, when all of a sudden they spotted from their observatory a star that had never been there before. This was not a comet streaking by, leaving a long tail and leaving. It didn't come and go. It hovered. It was a new star. And they said, I don't get it. Where where did that come from? It grabbed their attention. It piqued their curiosity. As they looked and studied, they saw that it was hovering over Judea. And they said, wow, look at this. Look at this, this star. It was so bright, so illuminating, so unusual that they were immediately starstruck. Because they were starstruck, they were on a star search. Amen? One a UFO. People in our day would have said, well, that's a UFO. You know, they never have really found one. I, somebody said to me, you believe in UFOs? And I said, well, you know, I'm more concerned with the people of this earth. <laughs> I really am. So, but something about this star intrigued them. Something about this star drew them. Something about this star grabbed their attention. And you know what? They began to experience a tug on their heart because something said, this star is supernatural. It is not normal. It came out of nowhere. Something about it lured them, pulled them, drew them, attracted them. They began to experience a divine tug on their soul, on their heart. They said, we've got to find out what this is. Now, if they'd known the Bible, they would have known verses like this. This is Isaiah again. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. 
And a star, Isaiah went on to predict, a star shall appear in Israel. Isn't it amazing how God knows the end from the beginning? God knows the end of a thing before the beginning begins. God knows what's going to happen before it ever takes place. He knew the day that you and I were going to be born, the day we're going to die. He knows how the world is going to end before it ever even comes close to reaching the end. And here God said there's going to be a star. It's going to appear in Israel. And these wise men saw it. Now we know that the star ultimately led them to the house where the two-year-old Jesus was living. The Bible records the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood, literally stood, hovered over like a, like a, a celestial helicopter hovering over where the young child was. I have to stop and think of how the children of Israel were led as they crossed the wilderness by the cloud by day and the fire by night. There was a cloud that led them by day and there was a burning fire like a torch that led them by night. And here God is leading these wise men, speaking to these wise men, drawing these wise men toward it to a particular destination. Now, I want to point a couple of things out about this star because this really jumped out at me and it's very meaningful to me and it's going to be meaningful to you because I want you to notice something. God spoke first to these wise men in a language they could understand. To astronomers, he sent a star. Do you know that God knows how to talk to you right where you are? God knows how to reach you right where you are. God knows your name, your address, your personality, your genetic makeup. He knows what you do. He knows the job you have. He knows the gifts and talents and abilities you got. He knows what interests you and what doesn't. And God has a way of, of coming into our world and getting our attention in order to draw us to Jesus Christ. These men didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. They were Gentiles and not Jews. They didn't know anything about the covenant, about the promises, about Isaiah, Jeremiah. They didn't know anything about any of them. Yet God wanted to show them and the world, I believe, at the very birth of Jesus, that he did not just come for the Jewish people, but he came for the entire world. Why else would God hang a star in the sky for these astronomers to see who were Gentiles 1,500 miles away? Why would he do that? Because he was heralding, he was announcing to the world, my son is for the whole world, everyone in it. Do I have any 100% Jewish people in here today? None. So we're all Gentiles, right? Can we give the Lord a hand of praise that he sent Jesus for us Gentiles? He really did. So he grabbed the attention of these astronomers by speaking to them through something they could understand, a celestial sign, a heavenly phenomenon. And you know, when you look through the Bible, you see that God did this over and over. God appeared in different ways to different people to grab different folks' attention, sort of different strokes for different folks. Let me show you. There were shepherds watching over their flock by night, just near where Jesus was born. But God didn't send them a star. He sent them angels because they knew the Old Testament. And they were very aware of the appearance of angels. So when God sent angels, Rather than frighten them away, they said, oh, we know all about God sending angels in the Old Testament. So God sent these angels to speak to us in a language 
we could understand. But with Simeon, an older man in the temple who had been shown by God that he would not die till he saw the Lord's Messiah, it was the Holy Spirit that God used to reveal Jesus to him. When Mary came walking in with Jesus into the temple, he looked and the Holy Spirit rose up in him and said, there he is. And he picked him up and spoke about the redemption that had come to Israel and to the world. And there was another woman in there named Anna. And Anna had practically lived in the temple for years. She was a widow. And she was shown that it was Jesus when she saw the baby in person, a woman who was very familiar with children, realized when she saw him in person that this was the Messiah, and God spoke to her in a language she could understand. He spoke to Saul of Tarsus by a blinding light and an audible voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was very aware that God had revealed himself in the Old Testament as a light. He was schooled in that. So for God to reveal himself as a light and in an audible voice was a language Saul could understand. God tailored his message in a way that Saul could get it. He spoke to Peter out of a vision, and he spoke to Balaam out of a donkey. I don't know what that says about Balaam, but he spoke to Balaam out of a donkey. Now, Paul really understood this about God, that God adapts himself. God wraps himself in a language that you and I can get. Paul said, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those that were under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those that are without law, the Gentiles, as without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might save some. Hear what he's saying? He said, I've learned this about Jesus, and I'm going to be like him, that I adapt myself to people. I learn their language. I talk their talk. I figure out a way into their life so that they can identify with me, and I can identify with them so that I can reach them for the Lord. When God brought me into the things of God, he did it through people that I could identify with. They had long hair, bell-bottom blue jeans, just like me, granny glasses. I know I'm dating myself. When I say bell-bottom blue jeans, some of you don't even know what that is, and that's a good thing. But they came knocking on my door and invited me to a Bible study. And because I knew them and could recognize them and identify with them, I went with them. And God used people like me to reach me. That's why you can reach some people that I can't, and I can reach some people you can't. So guess what? I'm not supposed to be the only one up here sharing Jesus with people. You know people that can identify with you, and you may be the only Jesus they ever see. So get out there and spread the good news because, hey, you might be their star that leads them to Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus adapted himself to you and to me. It says in Philippians 2, verse 7, instead he gave up his divine privileges. Do you hear that? Jesus was in heaven. He was at the right hand of God the Father. And he gave up his divine privileges. Bliss, glory, power, angels, cherubim, and seraphim were at his beck and call, worshiping at his throne, and Jesus said, somewhere in eternity past, I will go and I will save them. And Jesus left 
glory, condescended, took a humble position as a servant, and listen to this, was born as a human being. I am so glad that there is nothing I go through that he can't understand because he was here and he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. We don't have a high priest who cannot empathize with our struggles, but he fully understands everything we go through. And can I tell you today, church, there's not a temptation you experience or that I experience that he did not experience so that when you're going through it and say to him, Lord, strengthen me, he, he not only strengthens you, but he understands. And he reaches into your struggle and blesses you and helps you and raises you up and strengthens you. He took upon himself the form of a human being. So to astronomers, he sent a star. Do you see that, guys? Look out there. Here's something you can understand. Isn't it unusual? And they said, it is. You know what they did? They did something amazing. They made a decision. They said, I'm going to follow that star. They packed up all their belongings. They closed their observatory. They put together camels, all of their baggage, said goodbye to everybody they knew, and they left and went on a two-year journey over wilderness, terrain, difficult uh, travel for sure, they were not in an SUV, camels, and they traveled for two years. They said, because we've got to find out what that star is about. We've got to find out what that is. We have got to pursue what this means. God was calling their hearts, speaking to them. And God's doing that with some of you. I can remember when God began to speak to me, it, it got into my heart that I've got to find out who he was. I've got to find out who Jesus really was. They went on a quest, and they gave up everything and traveled two long years. And this star apparently rode low towards the ground and followed them or led them, and they followed it. They followed it daily. Can you imagine that? Now, I want you to notice something about the star. The star led them to Jesus, nothing and no one else. Now, I'm going to say that again. The star led them to Jesus, nothing and no one else. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why should that matter to you? Let me tell you why it matters. Because we live in a culture right now that believes in pluralism. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Pluralism says it doesn't matter how you get to God. You can get to God any way you choose. All roads lead to God. All that matters is that you have a sincere heart. And I want you to know that is not true. According to the Bible, that is not true. Do you know that a lot of people are going to wake up on the other side of eternity lost forever because they thought all that really matters is that I'm sincere and God sees my sincerity. And since God sees my sincerity, that is all that really matters. But it's not all that matters. The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice how God's star led them. Listen to the message. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. One commentator writes, the star had a motion. 
It kept pace with them. It was a guide to them till it and they came to the place where Christ was. And then it stood directly over one exclusive house. Not many, not several options, one house, the house where Jesus was. So they had no need to inquire of any person for him. Now the verb tense here is really important. When it says the star went before them, it's in the continuous tense, which means it daily traveled. It daily led them. This was a moving star. And it led them for two years until finally it stopped. And when it stopped, it stopped right over the house where Jesus was. Do you notice with me that the star didn't lead them to several options? In that two-year journey, the star did not stop over several homes and say, take your pick. The star didn't give them several avenues or ways or roads or people to choose from. The star that God sent led them to one place, to the person, Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, I'm going to answer to God one day for what I preach. I told the first service this. I'm so aware of this. One day I'm going to answer to God. He's going to say to me, what did you preach, Jeff? And I don't want to have to say, well, you know, Lord, I wanted to please people. I wanted to make people happy. And so, you know, I just said, you know, take any old road you want. All roads led to Rome and all other roads lead to God. So don't worry about it. And you know what? I would answer severely to God if I told you that. So I care more about him than I do what you might think about what I'm about to say. But let me tell you what I, what I see in the Bible. There aren't several roads. This star shows us there was only one house, one person, one way, one answer, one Messiah, one truth. It came and stood directly over the house where Jesus lay. The star that God sent was like a divine GPS. He went straight, a straight line to Jesus. It took two years. It was 1,500 miles. But he went straight to Jesus and nowhere else. But we live in a society right now that is like Cain. When Cain and Abel came to make an offering to God, the Bible says that God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Why? Because Abel offered a blood sacrifice. And God had already taught the first family, there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. There must be a shedding of blood or your sin is not washed away. And Abel knew this, and Abel obeyed God. He came to God God's way, but not Cain. Cain said, well, it doesn't really matter how I go, and so I'm going to do it my way. So Cain, uh, Cain gathered some vegetables from what he had grown, and he offered them to God, and God rejected them and rejected him. And he became angry, and it was the beginning of the end for Cain because he was so filled with jealousy and rage over his brother that he murdered him. And the first murder happened because Cain's offering was rejected. And folks, our culture right now has the spirit of Cain on it. The spirit of Cain says, it doesn't really matter how I go. God just looks at my heart and sees that my heart is right. And so it doesn't really matter what road I take as long as I take a road and as long as I'm sincere. And they are sincerely wrong. It's the spirit of Cain, and it's a spirit of rebellion. I did a little research, and it didn't take long for me to find this, but I, I dug up what one New Age guru who's extremely popular in our day, 
who's been on Oprah several times and other talk shows, and millions of people have, have heard this woman. And this woman made this statement. She said, now here's what she did. You need to know, she decided to go on a spiritual quest, so she left her husband, left her children, left her job, and set off leaving all of them behind on a, a spiritual quest. And here's what she came up with. Quote, I found a voice within, a voice within my own self. It was God's voice. It was God. It was me. God and self, more or less the same. You hear that? God is me and I am God. I don't need to look for God. God is me and I am God and he's in me. And I don't need to search. I have found God and I'm it. She went on to say in her book, and I won't tell you the name of it or the author. I don't want you finding it. But she goes on to say, and here's what she has said to millions of women and millions of people throughout America. All religions offer the path to the divine. And all religious teachings are transporting metaphors leading to the infinite. You can cherry pick your own religion. That's her message. In other words, God is you and you are God. It doesn't matter what route you take. All paths lead to God. Can I tell you something, church? You are not God. And neither am I. And, and, and according to Jesus Christ, according to Jesus Christ, God is not in us until we receive Him through His Son. Until we do that, God is not in us we need to come to know him, but until then, we are unplugged from him, and we don't know him. And yet, here's the message of our culture. That book has sold millions, and her voice has gone out to millions of people, but it's deception. In the last days, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The real message of Christmas is God's star will always lead you to one place the Lord Jesus Christ. He won't lead you to Buddha. He won't lead you to Krishna. He won't lead you to Muhammad. He won't lead you anywhere else. God's star will lead you to the Son of God. Every time. All paths don't lead to God. Every path leads to hell but one. Jesus said, wide is the road. And wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many go in thereat. But narrow is the road and narrow is the path that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Many will wake up in eternity and realize that that message took them to hell. I'm going to tell you the truth, church. Jesus didn't come as a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger so we could feel sorry for him because he's in a manger behind a barn. Jesus coming to earth was a divine rescue mission. God sent his son to rescue us from sin and its consequences. We were hell-bound, Satan-infested, Satan-deceived, and God sent his only begotten son to destroy the works of the devil and to deliver us. He was like somebody standing in a burning house saying, follow me and I'll lead you out. And if you don't follow him and only him out, you will burn. God's star led to one exclusive, non-negotiable, irrefutable place, the place where Jesus was. And that is the undeniable message of the Bible. 
Well, Jeff, you're just narrow-minded and probably a bigot and a hater too. Then what do you do with the words of Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You don't get more narrow than that, more unique, more non-negotiable. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Only one. Well, I don't need to be saved, Jeff. I'm doing quite well. I don't get traffic tickets, and I'm raising my family, and I'm a good dad, good mom, pretty well all-around good person. You're, no, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. None of us can stand before God without a good attorney. And I know the best one. And guess what? He's pro bono. And he'll stand there with you if you accept him. And when he died on that cross, he took your sin and mine. He took the wrath that would have come upon you and me upon himself. He made him who, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's why Jesus, that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about Santa. It's, it's not about presence under the tree. It's not about getting a break from work. It's not about just a neat Western holiday. It was a divine rescue mission. It was 911. It was SOS. And these wise men, when they finally followed that star, after, after two years, it finally went to a house and stopped right over it as if the star was saying, in there. In there. They went in, and you know what I see here in closing? I see these wise men not only found the Christ child, they found their salvation. You say, how do you know that? Because of what they gave him. Now, here's what I'm going to submit to you. I really believe this is what happened. From the moment of their departure to the day of their arrival two years later, God was dealing with them with every step they took because every step they took was a step of faith. Every step they took was a journey of faith. We're following this star. There's something about that star. We've given up everything to find out what this star is leading us to. By the time they got there, they had an incredible understanding of who was in the house because of what they gave. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, let me tell you the significance of those. Gold. The gift of gold was only for royalty. You look at the Old Testament, for instance, when, they, when somebody would come to visit David or Solomon, the other kings and other nations, they would bring gold. And they would give gold to royalty. These wise men, these magi, these scientists told King Herod that they had come to see the one who was born king of the Jews. Where did they get that? How did they know that? They quoted the Bible because on the way, God spoke to them. So they gave Jesus what was fit for royalty because he was royalty. King Jesus. Then they gave him frankincense. 
The only use of frankincense for Jews was at the altar in the temple, and it was reserved for the worship of God. That's what frankincense, they would burn frankincense like incense, and, and it, was, it, it preceded worship. The wise men clearly understood that Jesus was God incarnate, and he was to be worshipped. Now let me make sure we understand who Jesus was. Jesus was not second to God, less than God, or just a representative of God, or just one bringing the Word of God. The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, Logos, Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Let's put it that way. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was God. He was co-equal with God. You had God the Father, God the co-equal Son, and God the co-equal Holy Spirit. The three together comprise the one God. The Lord your God is one God, but He has three personalities. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was hung on the cross, they crucified God, allowed Himself to die in our stead. When Jesus looked at you, God was looking at you. He read your mail. He knew exactly what you were up to. You talk about Santa knowing if you've been bad or good. That was stolen from Jesus. He knows if you've been bad or good. He knows your life. He's read your mail. They gave gold. They gave as royalty. They gave frankincense knowing he was worthy of worship. When the wise men came in, it says they bowed down to this child and worship. And then they gave myrrh. The major use of myrrh was for burial. The gift of myrrh conveys that these wise men understood that Jesus was born to die. Here's our royalty. He's the king, the Messiah. He's God. He's worthy of worship. But he also came to die. He came to die on that cross. This child's born to die. He's not born to go become a successful uh, you know, CEO or doctor or whatever. He's born to be a sacrificed lamb. He's born to die. And that's why we always talk about the cross here. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, he took your sin and my sin. He took God's wrath where we would have taken it. He hung on that tree. Sacrificed lamb. He did it for you and for me. Think about that. The little baby laid down his sweet head. Well, more than that, stretched out his arms and his feet, and he died for us. No one else did that. That's why the star led straight to him, and only him. Isn't that powerful? Can you say, he did it for me? He did. Can you stand with me today? Now, I'm going to ask you to bow for a moment of prayer, would you? If you could just bow with me for a moment of prayer. Father, I just thank you that you did send Jesus to die for our sins. You gave your life for us, Lord. You were born to die. 
And Lord, we confess you today as king, as one worthy of worship, and as the one who was born to die. Thank you, Lord, that you rose also from the dead. And Lord, we just thank you that today we celebrate the real Jesus, what he really came for. Now, with your heads bowed, I want to ask you two simple questions. Do you have a question mark in your mind about whether or not you know Jesus? If you do, I wouldn't leave this building without settling it. I would not get on the highway without considering what he said and considering what you've heard and coming to him. How do I do it, Jeff? Very simple. You simply pray, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you were born to die for me. And I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. I ask you, Lord, to take the reins of my life from this moment forward. And he'll do it. So if you need to pray that prayer, can we do it together right now? Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe that you did die for me. And you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me and come into my heart change my life. In your name, amen. Now with your heads bowed, I want to ask one last question. As I said, you know people I don't know, and you can reach people I can't reach. Do you know anyone today who needs him? I want us to do something, and I want us to simply pray their name to heaven right now. And I'm going to pray that God gives you the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Can we do it? Lord, we come to you with, now give their name to God. Family, friends, co-workers, just name their name. Say, Lord, open the door for me to talk to them. In Jesus' name.